This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a Monday night edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Uh, it's just me right now. Uh, two other parts to this podcast because it's usually a three-part show Monday through Friday. Got Utah Jazz and Arizona Cardinals coverage coming in just a little bit. Uh, a little bit of change of plans tonight, so I'm going to do a quick little mini solo pod if my acid reflux uh permits so bear with me folks um i sent out to twitter and you can follow me at chase double underscore thomas um if you'd like to follow me there but uh send out a request uh if you had any questions of the nfl variety to please drop them below so uh go follow me there for future opportunities um you can also email me at chase thomas podcast at gmail.com uh first up from luke albury i hope i'm pronouncing that last name right luke um he says do you think justin fields will start this season um do i think justin fields will start this season yes because i think at this point there's just there's too much to lose in chicago uh if you're ryan pace and your Matt Nagy. Um, you want excitement early on. You want to give this fan base something to root for very early on. It's going to be a long season. We got 17 games. I would assume that it would just be strange if Justin Fields, with a full off season, um, to not win this job. Um, I think if this were last year, maybe not the case with just everything that went on uh, with COVID and camps and time and all that kind of stuff. I would be more okay if i was a bears fan about uh justin fields not starting day one but uh for the bears i just think you need to get justin fields as many reps as possible and you also need him to go through that uh, rookie wall (laughs) earlier than later because i think everything will come down to how justin fields in this offense is moving towards the end of the season people are not going to remember um, especially ownership, uh, how things were going in week one, week two, because there's going to be a long gap. And this is a recency biased thing where even though the wins count the same, I imagine if the Bears end the season on a three game losing streak in fields came in week 11 or whatever it was and the Bears struggle that stretch, well, suddenly you're you're looking at this team a little bit differently had they maybe go two and one down the stretch because fields has gotten so many weeks um under his belt to kind of get comfortable with Allen robinson develop a report to Cohen out of the backfield as a safety net and you know you just kind of want to uh dave montgomery and guys like that and just really build something with anthony miller and i, I could name all the different bears guys but 
I, I do think he should probably start um, right away because also the Bears fans need it, man, right? Like they they need something to root for and just the the plethora of guys who've been under center in Chicago over the years to just go with Andy Dalton for any amount of time when you don't have to um, just feels like something that's not, not fair to them. Just, just do it. Look at it as like a Joe Burrow situation because Joe Burrow was fine. The, the offensive line really imploded, but you look at what Justin Herbert did for a talented Los Angeles team last year. Um, I think the situation is maybe more closer i shouldn't say more closer is closer to los angeles than it is cincinnati in terms of talent i think the bears i mean they've been good they've sneaky sneakily won a lot of games in the last few years and this has not been a train wreck and if mitch trubisky is not a a bust in chicago we are looking at the naggy ryan pace experiment thus far completely differently i think but you also open uh in los angeles so do you really want justin fields to start off with aaron donald um, or do you want to wait and get the Bengals? Do you want to throw Andy Dalton a bone and let him go off against his own team and then bring in fields? Maybe like, let me pull up because you go to Cleveland. Let's just pull the schedule. Let's go through it. You go to Los Angeles. You get the Bengals at home in week two. You go to Cleveland in week three. You get the Lions in week four at Vegas. Uh, week five, Packers at home for week six at Bucks. This is a brutal schedule. 49ers at home, Steelers on the road, Ravens at home, at Detroit, Cardinals at home, who might be fighting for their playoffs lives and also jobs on the line in Arizona, at Green Bay. Like, there's not going to be the perfect time. So I think that's something you can't overthink of just like, well, when do we when do we ease him in? It's like, well, it's not going to be easy because it's the NFL and it's going to be, he's going to go through his lumps. So you might as well get them out early. And yes, there's some Mahomes and the Rodgers of the world, but by and large, these guys need to start right away. You need your your guy under center, week zero, week one, whatever it is, because you need to let them develop. And you also really want to make sure when the Bears are playing the Giants at home in, on January 2nd, 2022, and at Minnesota, maybe against Kalamon, who knows, um, you want to make sure that Fields is firing on all cylinders. Even if you're not a playoff team, if you're Matt Nagy and you're Ryan Pace, you want to ensure that Justin Fields looks good, that year two is going to be even better, and that you have shown that there is something to build off. It's all about how you finish, not how you start. And for them to finish the way they need to, I think you need to make sure that Justin Fields is playing as many reps as possible, even if you have to eat curl a little bit on that um, <laughs> QB1 tweet. Uh, what a what a what a tweet what a tweet um next up from steve fisher at ss fisher 87 would you want the falcons to take a player to take back a player in any potential julio trade or just draft compensation uh i don't understand the question and i won't respond to re- respond to it um no that's just a classic lucille bluth uh, r.i.p uh reference there from arrested development all my arrested development fans um i hate that we're here i have to start thinking about this i have to start preparing for life after julio in atlanta who um I think I would want them to take something back. I don't, it's, it's so hard to say because I don't know who the deal is. Like 
uh, I was texting with a friend of the pod, Evan Swords, um, about this, where, like, I think it was Grant Cohn um, out there in San Fran, uh, the SI 49ers writer, who posited Debo for Julio, and obviously there'd be more attached, but, like, that's the kind of thing where it's like, yeah, you got to go younger. So if you're going to take back a player, I would hope it's a young receiver. It's someone that has upside that someone that also is not expecting to take over. Cause I think this is a real big opportunity for Kyle Pitts and Calvin and more so Calvin Ridley to show that he can be a number one. So I'd rather look for somebody who can fit that Rondale Moore type that uh, fit there, like outside of the Christian Kirk and D D hop, like where you, you just, you fill a role. Um, you're not, uh, they don't need to go and try and trade a Julio for another Julio, just trade for somebody that, could slide in there in that Russell Gage role maybe better than Russell could. Um, that's that's a possibility. So a uh, friend of mine here in Knoxville uh, it's been harping. Diehard Cowboys fan. Just uh, the Michael Gallup and filler for Julio. And I'm like, yeah, 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 Gallup's fine. But that doesn't interest me. And I also just don't want to see Julio in Dallas. But um, I don't know. You're not going to get Devontae Adams back. You're not going to get any premier guys. Like if New England trades for him, I don't know what they're going to give up, but I'm going to guess it's just about all draft capital. I don't think you're getting, uh, unless you're, you're really all in on um, their, their wide receiver room or you want a running back back. I, I just, I don't, I don't really know what the upside is uh, for a lot of these deals. And I just think Falcons fans are going to be bummed at what it ultimately uh, comes out to with a potential Julio deal. Um, I don't think it's going to be great. I think it's going to be kind of a bad package. I think they're just going to be happy. And when I say they, Terry Fontenot in this front office to just get off the contract and move forward and continue resetting this franchise, it's going to hurt, but he's 32 and receivers like this just don't age well. And, but the thing that I would say is that we still have Kyle Pitts, still have calvin ridley who i think is ready to be number one and i'm excited to see what he does in an expanded role i'm also kind of scared to see what he does in an expanded role without julio um but i think this is just part of part of the deal um now if you would have told me before last offseason that it would be uh falcons fans saying goodbye to julio and not matt ryan i don't know if i would have foreseen that i don't know if uh, clairvoyant chase would have saw that coming but here we are. We are at a point where, you know, um, Matt Ryan is going to be around for the foreseeable future, I think. And he's going to get a shot with Kyle Pitts in this group and this offensive line that the previous uh, front office invested a lot in with McGarry and Lindstrom and um, Hennessy. And we'll, we'll see um, what all this looks like this fall, because I've seen some people throw out 10 wins. I've seen some people throw out eight wins, eight ish sounds about right uh, without julio i would lean more towards a seven six win plateau but i don't know we'll we'll see i just it's really hard for me to say whether or not uh, i want the falcons to take a back player you know what i want i want the falcons to get the best deal possible for julio jones now am i sure that's gonna happen not really but we we shall see fingers crossed um from chris 84 call um he says alabama nfl players versus lsu nfl players what team is better um he also asked better qb ben roethlisberger or drew Brees." um <laughs> i don't even know i i guess i would say at this point i mean are, are we are we asking current alabama nfl players for or the best 
of all time Bama NFL players and the best of all time LSU players. Um, I'd have to look into that. I, I don't know. My, my gut instinct would say LSU, but, you know, uh, you could sell me on, I guess, some Alabama. I, I guess Alabama is also there um, just with the offensive line and defensive line talent alone there. Um, I'll go Alabama. Better QB, Ben or Drew Brees? Uh, I don't think this is particularly close. I, I'm going to say Drew Brees. Um, you put Drew Brees with that group um, in Pittsburgh for as long as Ben was there. I think he gets more than one, but then you're like, oh, well, the the, the situation he had in New Orleans is pretty great too, and he only came away with one ring. But I don't know. I think uh, Drew aged a lot more uh, gracefully than Ben Roethlisberger. Um, but uh, yeah, give me drew and drew also i guess they both kind of reimmitted themselves in a way where ben did not uh he's, he's just a nickel and dime person now and found a way to get the ball out quickly and we know about his quick release in recent years uh behind this offensive line but i i don't know i think drew ultimately did a better job down the stretch and i still would take prime drew Brees over prime ben roethlisberger Although you could sell me on either. I just uh, think the volume of work would lend me to uh, go true there. But if we're really being honest, we just have to go Matt Ryan. Well, no, I'm just kidding. Um, that is all the questions I've got as of this recording. Um, the Julio stuff, though, to bring it back there real quick. I, I don't even know what to think of this, Shannon stuff. We'll get more into this in the pod on Friday. Uh, for the Atlanta sports guys that you can tune into every single Friday on this uh, sports feed. But I I don't know if he knew either way. I didn't like it. It's just lazy. All this is lazy. I don't know what, like where all this stuff goes. I don't like our real media climate with stuff like this. That kind of stinks because we just don't know. And that the point was that we don't know. And just the interaction and just the, the controversy and fun that this provoked um, across all aisles was kind of, uh, expected but disappointing because I don't know I just don't want to see the the Julio the Julio era in the way it's going to end in Atlanta like this is just kind of turning into a clown show and it it's a bummer because Julio is one of my favorite Atlanta athletes of all time and it's been a pleasure watching him for years and years and I hope he doesn't get a raw deal from fans just saying yeah I'm out of there and uh wanting out and a new start and uh all that kind of stuff because he's he's earned that right and he's been a great falcon for a long time and you know injuries starting to catch up with him he's getting older he's wanting to win now and there's just i don't think a path to the falcons winning a, a super bowl in the next year or two so we'll we'll see but uh i hope the best for julio and i hope fans give him the benefit of the doubt and that uh, this kind of stuff does not continue of just calling athletes and uh, making it unclear whether or not they know they're on air uh, to get some some news, get some get some tea out of them, uh, as the kids say. I don't uh, I don't really enjoy it. Um, but yeah, that uh, that is all I've got on this mini uh, episode of Chase does a mailbag on the NFL. This is the first solo version of this podcast that i've ever done um after this you'll get um taylor griffin of slc dunk on the jazz and their surprising week or week um game one loss to to the grizz and then uh we'll talk a lot about that and then we'll also get blake murphy on the cardinals and this being a pivotal year on uh 
for on for the Cardinals, for Kyler Murray, for Kingsbury, for Steve Kime, the GM. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens with Arizona, but I, they're a fascinating team, and I'm also just a just a huge huge Rondale Moore guy. So always happy to gush about my favorite mini Julio out of Purdue. Um, but yeah, uh, stick around for those two parts. They're really good. Uh, follow me on Twitter at Chase underscore Thomas. Go check out ChaseThomasPodcast.com. Uh, let me know if you liked this solo mailbag kind of pod. Uh, feel free to email me at Chase Thomas Podcast at Gmail with any questions that you might have for the future, and we can read them on the pod. Um, but yeah, thank you so much, and let's keep this train going. All right, awkward outro. The Chase Thomas Podcast continues on this beautiful Monday evening where I am now joined by Blake Murphy, who knows so much about the Arizona Cardinals that I needed to have him on because as one of the biggest Rondell Moore stands in uh, of, of all college fans <laughs> of the last few years, I, I needed to pick his brain and reading the Cliff Kingsbury quotes about his excitement for Rondell Moore. I, I gotta I gotta get into the nitty gritty here. Blake, good evening, sir. How are you? Doing well, Chase. Happy to be back on. Uh, it's been a fascinating offseason with the Arizona Cardinals. Seems like they have one of the biggest splashes in each of the last three offseasons for the most part. We'll see if it's able to pay off with playoffs in this season or if we're going to be talking about a new direction come the end if the Cardinals should seem to come up short as they have the last two seasons, it seems like, doesn't it? It's hard because... When you look at the Cardinals and you look at the division and you look at the turnover at quarterback and you look at Kimes drafts, which I want to get into in a little bit, but I I just don't envy the position they're in because I think the Niners are coming. The Niners are a lot better than the record showed last year and they're healthy. It's just a completely different team. You still have Russell Wilson in this division and now you have Matt Stafford to deal with in Los Angeles. It's hard for me to be extremely difficult or it be to be extremely critical rather of the Kingsbury Kyler experiment thus far because I'm just like if they were in the AFC South how would I view this team if they were playing an AFC South schedule would we view this team completely different is that how you and fans look at it of just being like hey yeah we would prefer to be better we'd want to be in the playoffs but like also there is some nuance here which is we are in a very very tough division Sugar Ray Leonard Roberto Duran Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone's experienced the pain of dropped calls and internet outages, especially working remotely this last year. So here's the question. If you're the telco company, how do you help create better experiences for customers? Simple. ServiceNow digital workflows can help solve network problems faster and provide real-time status updates so customers aren't left in the dark. That's probably why ServiceNow workflows have helped telco companies see an increase in customer satisfaction. But proactive customer communications only half the battle. With a single view of your back, middle, and front office operations, ServiceNow workflows also eliminate silos, keeping teams more in sync and more productive. With our scalable services, companies assure a better experience for both customers and employees on a single platform, the Now Platform. 
So how do you help provide a better network experience for customers? With ServiceNow for telecommunications to help streamline network operations. Whatever your business is facing, let's workflow it. ServiceNow. Yeah, it's been interesting because the Cardinals, if you look at their record, they've actually been pretty fine as far as contending within the division, even in off years. Like they were a spoiler back in 2016 and 2017, I think, for a few teams. And then obviously uh, the crux of what's happened with this sort of rebuilding plan that they entered after uh, the 2018 season that saw both Steve Wilkes and Josh Rosen can't after one singular season. Uh, it's been really interesting to see as they've kind of been in this slow buildup for the most part toward um, being a successful team. And in some cases, you could even argue that adding Kyler Murray to the division is partially what made the Niners realize, all right, we got to pivot off of Jared, uh, sorry, the Rams pivot off of Jared Goff and the Niners even pivoting off of the likes of Jimmy Garoppolo, who was probably the reason why they lost that week one game against Arizona when they had a pretty healthy team overall. So uh, it's interesting, as like you said, the Cardinals, have we've always talked about them, at least as far as Arizona fans, comparatively as one of those more poverty franchises like they didn't even have a legit stadium until 2006 Hmm. and now you kind of see what they've gone through as far as what the expectation level for the team is they start off last year six and three end up finishing down the stretch i believe with a was it two and five record Mm -hmm. Uh, this is a huge pivotal year for them as far as being able to show that you know you're getting a couple of new quarterbacks in the division you got enough at least i think talent wise after this 2018 season that's been added to kind of make this your go for broke sort of year just to get into the playoffs and if they aren't able to do that then there's going to be major questions i think about um the direction of kime kingsbury and in some cases even maybe kyler murray as far as being able to contend in this division because it is like i think someone said every time a player seems to get traded or signed you always seem like it's going to be in the nfc west it's like where that player goes to do you think there is a ownership uh directive that is if you don't make the playoffs this year kime and kingsbury uh i hope you're renting do you think that is uh the messaging behind the scenes you know, it's hard to know as far as with ownership. I think it'd be much easier to say that about Cliff than it would be for uh, the likes of Steve Kine. Like This is a – you could take a look back at the 2018 season and say that the ownership and their GM was the ones that were truly responsible, whether it was bad hires, decisions, and it was the coach instead who they kind of had fall on the sword for the most part. So it wouldn't shock me at least for the most part if they wanted to – you know, try to make the playoffs. And if they don't, they end up saying, all right, well, you know, we just have to bring in the right coaching staff for the most part. We've got talent around them and continued with it. It wouldn't shock me the other way if they ended up saying, if we can't move forward, uh, like I've always pointed out, they do really like um, some of the guys underneath Steve Kime within their front office. Michael Bidwell's always been known as uh, a guy who's very loyal. It takes a lot to earn his trust. Uh, one of the things we praised a lot about Steve Kime in 2013, when he came in as the GM, he immediately upgraded and brought their scouting department to what was kind of considered the base NFL level for most other teams. They were a little bit behind in years past, just trusting coaches to kind of go out and pick the players, and they were able to bring that up to par. So if they do end up making any type of move, I wouldn't see it as this you know drastic overhaul similar to what that 2018 season was versus maybe they tweak things around a bit. One of the players, at least, that we know they like a lot with Adrian Wilson might not be quite ready 
ready to step in as the GM, but hey, like it's a new NFL for the most part. And I know that there's a lot of teams that are benefiting now from uh, some of the, I guess you could say Rooney hires with like Terry Fontenot or others, at least teams are trying to develop some of these different GMs to be able to have them take over and add a couple of those different draft picks. Maybe that's something that the Cardinals look to replenish, but it really, a lot of it just pivots because we always say it in this, the NFL, and this is something that Steve Kime says I totally agree with. It is still a year to year proposition in the NFL. You take a team that has a franchise quarterback one year, the next, they may be gone. A team that looks like they're ready to contend. Suddenly everything just seems like it's on the table. So looking at that, this is a pivotal year for the Cardinals. I don't think that any decisions will be made coming into the season versus, you know, taking a look after the season has ended on the process. And I think that's going to be a key part for Arizona is proving that they have the ability to go out and win games, be able to take that step forward. Because if they don't, that's when I think that people will look at that review and say, all right, let's take a look. Are we having the correct building blocks to build around, especially in a division where good isn't good enough? You, you have to be great in the NFC West. How do they avoid the second half issues that Kyler ran into with that two and five stretch. How did they address that this offseason to ensure that that does not uh, repeat in 2021? Yeah, I think some of it they've already done as far as talent development. Last year, we got to see kind of the ebb and flow of the offense that revolved when DeAndre Hopkins got his yards, when Christian Kirk was able to kind of get open and get separation where they had another receiving threat. Uh, they did pretty well offensively when they did not. And Kirk would seem to just, you know, disappear at times, whether that was teams taking him away or scheme or in whatever case, it just felt like that it was all right. We are either throwing to DeAndre Hopkins or Kyler's running around. And when you took that rushing ability away due to, I believe the, uh, there was an injury he sustained the second half of the Seattle game, suddenly the offense seemed like it was figured out. The team started being able to take away a lot more of that deep ball that Murray had been doing so well. And when his scrambling ability was taken away, I think some even pointed to Cliff Kingsbury not adjusting quite as fast to being able to pick up some of those clutch first downs. Uh, there were times even post-game where they'd say, hey, like, what happened on that play call on third and one, third and two? And Kyler was like, well, the way their defense lined up with this RPO style you kind of were forced to hand the ball off because of the numbers in the box. And the Cardinals just did not have a good enough offensive line and a good enough run game to be able to uh, pick up some of those clutch downs, at least without Kyler as a rushing threat. So some of that, I think, is part of why people are looking at Kingsbury saying, hey, you're going to have to basically prove that you're able to adapt to be more dynamic as a coach um, because as far as this air raid scheme has gone Arizona has improved each year offensively but it's been mostly in the run game the passing offense at least kind of came in at 2019 that and remained stagnant outside of the likes of DeAndre Hopkins so adding a all pro center of Rodney Hudson should help a lot as far as being able to create a pocket for Kyla Murray. You've got some savvy route running at least with AJ green, even if you know, he's not going to be the same type of deep threat that he was before. And uh, just a lot of the improvement, maybe as far as if you're talking about, you know, Andy Isabella has been quite a disappointment. He hasn't seemed to be able to stay on the field at all. So even adding one of your guys in like Rondale Moore, who can break a tackle or two and mm. slip away for seven or eight yards. Uh, that may be a big enough boost to the team where you're able to talk about a much more diverse offense, but uh, really that's going to be where the talent is all there. The rest of it's going to be on Cliff Kingsbury, I think to be able to adapt and prove that teams haven't quite figured out his air raid offense and he'll have to, you know, show that he's going to be a guy that you can build around as a head coach and an offensive mind for the future. Cause that's what he was brought in to do. 
do you think the in-game tactician stuff and questions surrounding Kingsbury were overblown from last year? I, I, some of them may be like a good example as you look at the um, New England game. The mm-hmm. Cardinals run the ball, I think, at least with and essentially see a uh, stuff the ball, I think, at least on fourth. And I think it was the goal line. Uh, great play, at least that was made by the Patriots. You give credit. You also look at the offensive line, get a bit blown up. If they score that touchdown there, everyone's calling you a genius for, you know, essentially ending the game just before a half where the Patriots have so far to go to catch up and how terrible their offense had been that day i think cam newton completed was it like 10 passes or something like that to two wide receivers it was just a brutal day for them offensively and i think as long as he's aggressive i think we've seen at least the cardinals have been pretty successful even if those don't turn out the issue with the late game scenarios is he kind of seems to turtle and tuck inside his shell and become overly conservative. It's like, all right, we're going to go ahead here on third and two, run this, you know, play that's a very conservative play, then kick the field goal. And when you, it all is well and good until your kicker misses the field goal. And then you say, man, like you took this aggressive head coach for the most part that seems to go unaggressive at the worst possible time. That isn't something that inspires a lot of confidence in your players. And I think that's part of where what you have to do if you're Kingsbury is be able to have a trust that you have of being who you are and then sticking to it because any type of wishy-washy nature, uh, I think not only will that get exploited in the NFL, but I think that causes teams to be able to get shaken down the stretch, especially if, you know, you're saying, hey, we got confidence in our kicker and then you play conservative, your kicker misses and suddenly he's benched. It's like, all right, well, you said you had confidence in your kicker. Clearly you don't. What really is going on as far as the leadership in this team and where is it coming from? And I think Arizona's hoped that they've been been able to put a bit more veteran talent on the team but in the end it always does come back to that head coach and they've put a lot of eggs in the basket for Kiff Kingsbury and he's going to have to make sure that it pays off this year I think with a playoff berth and I think that that is the biggest weight that he's got on him heading into this season um, to figure out if he's going to be able to stick as a head coach in the league or if he'll be kind of relegated to the sidelines as an offensive coordinator perhaps and even as early as 2022. How do you think Rondale will fit based on what you've seen? And as someone who watched, like I said at the top of this podcast, Blake, um, he is a bowling ball. He is this year's better version of LaVishka Chenault. I enjoy watching these guys in college uh, just just a bunch. They, he, he was so much fun to watch, especially two years ago. And it's like one of those guys where I explain it to my friends of just like, no, if Rondale was like 6-2, he's going in the first round and it's not a, like going top 10 probably, but because of his height, he was just not not going to go there. But Mike Renner, uh for the pod of Purple Focus coined this, I believe, where he was like he's basically Julio Jones just 5-8 version. And it's when you watch him, <laughs> that's exactly who he is. He's a miniature version of that. And Lavishka Chenault last year with the Jags um, I think some people got to see that a little bit, but what he did at Colorado, just that same kind of bowling ball thing where he just bounces off dudes because he's little and big and just loves contact and just finds a way to get the ball. Um, do you think the fit will be seamless in the Kingsbury offense with D-Hop and Christian Kirk? Yeah, I think as far as if they're able to move him around the field and find mismatches, last year the Cardinals really were notable for keeping DeAndre Hopkins to one side of the field, making an easy read for Murray. And that was something that was kind of, in my opinion, was one of the faults that we saw of their team. There was not, they tried to go with, all right, we're going to hurry it up, keep guys in the same spots, keep the reads easy, try to wear teams down with being able to get the ball off quickly. No team, I believe, ran more plays 
than the Cardinals, at, or at least even if it wasn't the case, they were um, number one as far as for time of uh, the snap, as far as being able to just get off the ball quick and play this almost hurry up style offense where it was limited of course was there was a lack of pre-snap motion and in order to be able to identify manner zone for kyler and being able to run all these different types of jet sweeps other motions with andy isabella's speed not able to be on the field because he just struggled with his routes and um still is not quite developed as a hands catcher being able to put Rondale into that spot every once in a while in the slot, I think will be important. As well as the fact that a lot of the, what people have talked about with Kyler is he was known as kind of a vertical, uh, a vertical passer. We've seen elements of that, but really Kingsbury's tried to run this almost sort of horizontal and ground raid where last year, what we'd notice a lot of times would be, Hey, take a look at players inside of the box. And suddenly Kyler would check to an RPO. You'd swing the ball out to a guy, try to get like, you know, a bubble screen. I think the card, were number one in bubble screens last year and the issue of course was that that bubble screen would be going to the slot guy who was 37 year old larry fitzgerald that's going to probably get you as far as maybe one or two yards at most now if you're talking about those going instead to rondale or having christian kirk slide into the slot that may be a lot more as far as with the explosiveness that he brings to the table that may make this offense tick a bit better now uh, the way that we've called it as far as cardinals fans at least is you know we've compared it to almost like anquan bolden but like in the body of kyler murray essentially yeah. you got this small little guy but uh, he's got that toughness and ferocity of if you're a six you know six one corner he'll take you on for the most part mm-hmm. and be able to drop the shoulder and get extra yardage um just some of the plays that he's made i think will be um, a a big boost the question i think with arizona as an offense overall is how much of that they're going to trust him you know as a downfield player versus just looking at him as this more jet sweep shallow type of guy and leaving that long game more to christian kirk right and i think that's where there's going to be a lot of passes that'll go there kingsbury's also talked about lining him up in the backfield it Mm -hmm. would be awesome to see you know if you're talking about you know you get first and second down you've got the likes of james connor suddenly on third down you have two guys in the backfield you've got rondale moore chase Edmonds in the backfield and turns out you actually have a kyler murray design run there's a lot of options in the run game that i think arizona is going to be able to have rondale only adds to some of those and i think it'll be very exciting where if the team is able to get anything out of aj green i think that there could be a very good offensive threat it'll just be remain to be seen um if they're able to you know see the additions that they've made here be able to kind of click and gel or if teams are going to be a little too keyed in on all right hey like you're going to be checking this pass to rondale for the most part because we've got this number of players in the box and that's part of what the air rate as far as with the different concepts is some people have noted the NFL is kind of moving more toward these type of, you know, tight end or play action out of heavy sets. That that was where Kyler Murray, oddly enough, saw the most amount of success with the Cardinals last year. It was when they had two tight ends on the field. And then Cliff Kingsbury seemingly with, you know, I, I don't know how many fans at least know or ever heard of Daryl Daniels out there. If you have, you're probably spending way too much time in Dynasty. Uh, but that's their number two tight end right now. Uh, and Max Williams who missed most of the year. Oh gosh, no. Todd Heap, he probably could be at this point. Like he okay. probably would I think they've got Bernhard Sykovitz, who's their, you know, people call him Austrian Gronk. And it's like, mm-hmm. all right, like if you're having to trust a guy who's never played NFL football before to probably be your tight end three, and you had your most amount of success as a team was essentially running the ball with two tight ends and utilizing play action out of center from those tight ends. 
and you're going to be running a lot of 10 personnel. That's part of why a lot of people, I think, are questioning if Cliff Kingsbury is going to stick to his guns or if he's going to be able to adapt to this offense in the next level. Either way, I think that Rondale Moore will be able to slide in seamlessly. The biggest question I have is, are they going to be able to find and unlock some of the downfield receiving that we saw him occasionally use in college, but it was like maybe 20 snaps or so like that. We really have not gotten a chance to see if he's going to be this all-around type of player or if it's going to be strictly, hey, he's baby Debo right now for the most part, and we're content with that. Why do you think Steve Keim has struggled as much as he has in recent drafts? Like I was going through that the other day. Just it, it it's been rough, especially in the first round. Um at the time, like when you look at how you felt year after year after year, um, because it's been a sneaky long time of Steve Kime in uh, Arizona. Um, were you always like pretty much okay? You're like the Hassan Riddick stuff. You're like, ah, I get it. I understand. Zayvon Collins, I get it. Isaiah Simmons, I get it. Or has there been a sense with you in the Arizona community where it's like, oh, this feels like another reach. This feels like this a Steve Kime special. Like what? What have you in the Arizona fan base taken from this? Yeah, I remember that was the biggest feedback that people had with Arizona uh, talking about their first round pick, Zayvon Collins, this year. Uh, Arizona says, hey, we're going to go and draft a, a Mike linebacker, another linebacker. You're like, OK, out of the Steve Kymara, this is like the fifth linebacker, I think, yeah. that they've drafted who's an off-ball player. And in a lot of ways, you could say that they almost kind of had to because it's an admission of fault with that contract that he gave to the likes of Jordan Hicks for a few years. And Hicks, you know, down the stretch, he kind of lost the coverage ability he was noted for out of Philly, just lost a bit of a step, but was still solid making tackles. And late last year, especially, it was noticeable against the Niners and the Rams in the run game, the last two games of the season. He just didn't look like he was able to make a tackle to save his life. So I think a lot of it with Kime is putting emphasis on the wrong players and the, I guess you could say the right positions, but in maybe the wrong places. Like you look at Andy Isabella. Hey, this is a guy who's drafted in the second round pick because of his speed and the production. Now he's at a small school guy and you're putting him at the slot. Okay. If that's a fifth round pick, no one's really talking about that being a case of the Cardinals, you know, missing. You're like, all right, took a flyer on a small school guy late. He's fast. It didn't work out. There's no harm there. And I think a lot of people then point over and say, hey, like you took this guy over Terry McLaurin, who's gone off and the Cardinals we know liked and the likes of DK Metcalf. And you made it a bit personal, I think, in terms of you trusted. I think the Cardinals had one of the guys on their staff um, who actually went to school and was a coach of Isabella. And so I think in that regard, you look at a lot of what Arizona has done, and I think some of it comes down to um, emotional decisions or just kind of saying, hey, like, we need this, we're going to take this player in position here, versus really challenging some of that status quo and being able to go, hey, like, are we really going to take this small guy when there's a big DK Metcalf there? You know, he's had an injury issue or two. Let's still roll the dice on a guy at least who could be this freak versus trusting this little small slot receiver in round two to be this, you know, deep threat that we've been needing with Arizona. And I, I think with Kime, the biggest thing is that they haven't been bad enough for the most part that things have been off. I think it's been that there's just not been quite a bit on the same page from the front office as there maybe is with the coaching staff. And that's probably nowhere more clear than when they pay overpaid Terrell Suggs to bring him in to have, Hey, this is great. We got two pass rushers. Well, coaching staff looked at Suggs when he can't cover. So we're going to move Suggs right over here into this spot where he's just going to rush the passer. And now Chandler Jones is going to be dropping back into coverage every so often. Well, 
if you're taking a guy who had 20 sacks the year before and putting him into coverage, you're going to be probably not playing the best players on the field. So I think some of that disconnect from what Arizona has wanted and how they've planned in the front office to how it's played out in the field, I think that they just haven't quite been on the same page. And that's been one of the things that I think has hindered Arizona over the past couple of years as far as just what their plan has been. Um, and, and I think at times time is also overvalued some of the Cardinals own talent compared to some of the other guys around the NFL they're more than happy to you know pay David Johnson to be a running back thinking oh, it'll work out fine you know we can always move him to receiver and then when that deal doesn't work out you know you're thankful that Bill O'Brien exists to take advantage of because otherwise you're kind of in a very difficult spot entering the 2020 uh, season all right uh last question we'll wrap up here Blake um I think I'm weirdly excited about this offensive line in Arizona. And when I go back to just uh, the Andre Smith, Justin Pugh years, it doesn't feel that long ago that I was like, oh my God, who is lining up at left tackle for the Arizona Cardinals this week? Um, but when I look at it now, you talked about Rodney Hudson a little bit, but like, isn't that going to be a position of strength this year in Arizona? Yeah, the the biggest thing as far as with Arizona is they finally, for the first time, seem to have a bit of depth at yeah. the position that they've built up over a few years. And I think a lot of the strength of that starts with the fact that it took a few years and maybe even a second contract. But DJ Humphreys has kind of blossomed over time from a guy who, you know, we were wondering, is he going to have to stick at right tackle? Is he going to have to slide into guard? Is he even going to be able to stay healthy and stay on the field? Well, he's been able to kind of blossom into being a solid starting tackle. And by bringing in Kelvin Beecham, who was a left tackle previously for the Jets he manned the right side of the line that's given them plenty of flexibility to essentially be able to say hey all we're really missing now is kind of plugging in that center gap you know you got Justin Pugh's already under contract at one of his best years of his career last year finally being able to stick over at left guard the right guard competition will be interesting but either way you're either going to be looking at uh, third round pick Josh Jones plugging in or having one or two types of veteran guys who've spent multiple years starting in the league. And I think that is a huge plus for Arizona when you're talking about the fact that as a lot of offenses go, it usually does revolve around the offensive line being able to get time for their quarterback. And a lot of that deep passing game, you know, that we see at least with the Cardinals only happens when their line is protecting well. Otherwise, <laughs> you know, teams will just suddenly start to switch to more of these, you know, like short, small passes for the most part, just so that their guy isn't getting hit. So it's exciting, I think, to be able to finally put Arizona in a position. And I think the hardest part for that for a lot of fans is it still costs them a third round pick. You're at least saying, I'll Obviously, I'll give that up for the likes of Rodney Hudson. Uh, but it does point back to part of the concern that fans have had about Steve Kime is it feels really like outside of hitting on one to two players, that entire line has been all built through free agency or, you know, a round three pick that a lot of people felt would have gone higher and seemed to fall down to you and Josh Jones. So if you're not able to start developing young talent at some point or another, I think you are going to end up hitting a wall. So it's fortunate that DJ Humphreys has been one of those hits that Kaim has had because for the first two to three years of his career, you know, people are already talking about him as like being a bust. And I think at least this is where you're going to see with Kyler Murray is going to be worth the, you know, big level contract that the Cardinals will give him. You've got a fantastic um, set of offensive linemen who will be blocking in front of him with four of those five guys, for the most part, seeming like they may be returning. And the fourth, at least, um, will be upgraded from last year. All right. Blake, what can we check out from you across Revenge of the Birds and uh, anywhere else this week? 
Yeah, I'll be having an article up on Revenge of the Birds just going over some of the Cliff Kingsbury, uh, kind of compiling a bunch of the national views as far as for some of the concerns people have had, wondering if uh, he's going to be the right coach moving forward and making some kind of declarations of like, hey, this is what Cliff will have to do. And if the Cardinals can adapt this way, they will be successful. And uh, otherwise, always available on the Revenge of the Birds podcast uh, at ROTB Pod just for those Cardinals fans out there who uh, want to get a bit more or for people at least who, like us, want to kind of gush a bit more about the likes of uh, Rondale Moore for the most part. I, like you, at least, I'm hoping that he at least has a solid rookie season and can develop and blossom into, you know, uh, something in the desert, especially as now there is a player on the Cardinals you can joke about who has to look up to Kyler Murray, uh, not just as a veteran, but physically as well, because, you know, he's five foot seven. <laughs> yeah. Um, first bout Hall of Famer, Rondale Moore. There's, there's no question in my mind, Blake. Um, Blake, thank you so much for the time. I greatly appreciate it. We'll uh, check back in on the Cardinals again soon. Yeah, thanks, Chase, for having me on again. Appreciate it. All right, the Monday edition of the Chase Most Podcast continues on, where Taylor Griffin of SLC Dunk is here to talk a little about the very normal, having a great time, everyone's happy, Utah Jazz. Taylor, good evening, sir. How are you? I've had better days, that's for <laughs> sure. But uh, the the recent news of Jordan Clarkson, six man of the years, got my spirits lifted a little bit. But, but yeah, I've I've had better days for sure after last night's game. Also, just the the way it was presented to Clarkson was was pretty great with Joe Ingles. Joe Ingles, just a naturally delightful guy in Clarkson. Um, I was reminded. I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember his quote on dinosaurs from a while ago? Uh, no, I don't remember this. Okay, you need to look up Jordan Clarkson dinosaurs, but essentially he believed that humans were bigger back in back in the dinosaur era and that they were actually human pets. So like humans were ginormous creatures and uh, actually had dinosaurs as pets. It's a, it's an incredible quote. You you've got to you got to yeah, check it that's, out. That, that's a pretty valid point. I mean, I, he, he, he makes it, great it, points. <laughs> If JC thinks that, then I I think it's probably true. So I, I'm behind him 100. I uh, I mean, hey, who's to say? Who's to say? We weren't there. That's all I gotta say. We weren't true. there. So how yeah. how are we how are we gonna dismiss that? Um, yeah. so watching the the Grizz Jazz game last night, what what would you how would you articulate what happened and why they lost even without Donovan Mitchell? Well, how, how would you explain it beyond just not having their best player? Yeah, so I mean, for me, it was like it was like the perfect storm, right? And a bad storm for the Jazz because we had had all that stuff happen with Donovan, you know, hours before the tip off, which was just kind of like a, I don't know, kind of there was like a weird energy. And I, I went down to the game last night, so it was that was um, fun to be there. But there was just this weird, and I've been to a lot of playoff Jazz games before, and. Normally, there's like right from the get go, there's like this really great energy, right? And last night just felt a little bit different. I don't know if it's because all the stuff with Donovan, but you know, the game started and you know, the first quarter was pretty ugly for both teams, but the Jazz got off to a little run thinking they were going to, you know, open it up. But after, you know, they got out to that 12 point lead or whatever it was, um, there was like a shift in the in the air and the jazz, like there was, I, we, I just kept waiting for guys to make plays and there was just 
nobody was making plays last night. And then you had Conley, who was the one guy that was kind of making plays in the first half. Conley got in foul trouble. Rudy Gobert gets in foul trouble. And you're already without Donovan. And, you know, Clarkson's having an off night. Like, it was just honestly, like, the worst thing that could have happened for the Jazz. You know, they, they just didn't get any their three. They weren't making any threes. They shot, like, 20, ended up with 25%, and that was with a pretty good fourth quarter. So it was just all in all, it was just a just a horrible night. I don't I don't really know how it could have gone any worse, you know, besides other guys getting hurt, but it just wasn't a good night. Are you concerned about the trajectory of this series, or do you think with Donovan Mitchell seemingly going to come back, we'll we'll see if his uh, his camp and his training staff can uh, can win this battle with the, the Utah Jazz training staff to play in Game Two? Because um, I believe he said, "quote We have shit to handle." Um, are you at all concerned? Yeah. You, what, what, where are you at right now? Um, I'm I'm not really more concerned than I was before the series started. You know what I mean? I know that the Grizzlies have some players, man. Morant's crazy, and Dylan Brooks is in last night. It was insane, and you know, it was like Valanciunas. Like they they just have guys that they're just ballers. You know what I mean? And they're tough and they're gritty, and so I. You know, I'm not trying to discount what they're bringing, but I I think that you know, I've watched the Jazz all season long. I know I know what they can do, so I, I'm really not too you know, any any more concerned than I was before the series started. You know, last night sucked. You know, dropping game one at home, and you know, the Jazz only lost four or five games at home all year, so it was kind of weird. But I still think that you know the Jazz will finish it in in five or six games. So it's going to be tough. It's not going to be a cakewalk like I think a lot of people expected it to. So I. I, th- I think that they'll still get, you know, business handled, especially with Donovan coming back. But it, it might be a little tougher than than they might have thought. How are the Jazz different with the way they play without Donovan? What is the biggest way that they are different with Donovan on the floor and with him not? So I, I was thinking about this last night because you know Donovan's been out for the last month mm-hmm. and with that that ankle injury and. You know, watching the Jazz the last month, they've struggled a lot, but they've been okay. You know what I mean? They, they have a lot of guys that have stepped up. Bogdanovich has stepped up last month. But um, what I was thinking about last night is without Donovan Mitchell, the Jazz are like a like a well-constructed log fire, right? Like they have all the logs there for a good fire, right? But Donovan's like the the flame that like carries the fire, right? So without, without the flame that like ignites them and, and gets them going – they just don't have the same energy that they do with Donovan there. And one thing that I think that's kind of underrated, uh, underrated aspect of Donovan's game is that he's a, he's a huge leader already, like in his young age. And I noticed that last night, you know, he was, I don't think he sat down like the entire, until like the fourth quarter, like he, he Donovan on the, on the, on the sideline was like barking at, you know, opposing players. He's going back and forth with Dylan Brooks and he's, yelling at jazz players on the floor, trying to help them with, with the different stuff that's going on. So I, I think that they miss his leadership and primarily just the energy that he, he brings, like his confidence is just, uh, it just helps the jazz so much and gives them like that extra boost that they need sometimes. Interesting. Um, are you at all concerned about the wing depth with the way Royce O'Neal played with what you're going in with Boyan? Ingles, O'Neal, it's a lot of pressure on those guys. I guess you can throw Niang in there. Um, when you get 
deeper into the playoffs are you at all concerned that it didn't do more to address that spot or are you okay riding and dying with this collection of wing talent i think the thing that concerns me the most is just their ability to get stops and Mm -hmm. you kind of saw this last night um they're just getting killed by um brooks and Morant, especially Morant in the fourth quarter they just couldn't get stops and that's just what it came down to and in the playoffs, you just need guys that can get stops, especially like one-on-one ISO, you know, be able to switch and just get stops when you need stops, right? And we saw it last year with, you know, when Jamal Murray was just going crazy on the Jazz every single night. I think that in the playoffs, especially, you need guys that can defend, you know, one-on-one and just get stops, especially because there's on every single team in the NBA, there's there's talented guards that can score like crazy, right? So. I think it's mostly on the defensive side that concerns me a little bit. Offensively, I think that last night was just really bad luck that you got bad games from Clarkson and Yang and Ingles didn't do much last night. I think that most nights you're not going to get bad nights from all of those guys on offense, but defensively is what, what concerns me a little bit with the wing depth. How did the Jazz schematically defend job better? I don't know. That's the question, right? It's it's always hard to with with these guys that are such good. You know, Morant was just attacking like crazy last night, and I think Rudy being in foul trouble really really um, enabled him to do enabled Morant to do a little bit better last night. Because normally the Jazz that's kind of their their scheme, right? They they funnel guys inside to Rudy, and then Rudy, you know, will get the block or or, or forces them out. So they kind of that's kind of part of the plan. And last night it seemed like they were doing that, but not having Rudy on the floor while they were doing it. And it just didn't, it just didn't work out. And Morant was, I mean, Favors was playing pretty good defense, but Morant was just making some incredible shots last night. So it'll be interesting to see how they, how they adjust to that because last that fourth quarter was just brutal. Um, not being able to get stops on Morant and they were all kind of, you know, in that mid range or at the rim. So it'll be interesting to see how they adjust the game too. Um, when you look at Quinn Snyder and his playoff performances thus far, what do you what are you excited most about seeing him him flip on Taylor Jenkins as the series goes on? Is there anything specific that you're like, okay, I'm ready for him to pull this string? Because I mean, there have been all kinds of pieces that have been written about the Jazz this year, solving pick and roll basketball and pick and drop coverage with Gobert and that we all know. But is there something new? Is there a wrinkle with this group that he can unleash maybe on the Grizzlies that really flipped this series quick? Is there something that stands out to you? Um, I think I think for the most part it's it's just it's kind of just depends on the players. I mean, I think Snyder has his schemes, right? And sometimes I think he get he gets a little bit stubborn um not adjusting as quickly as I think a lot of people think he should. Like, for example, last night with the Morant stuff, like just kind of, I think he, he plays percentages a lot um, regarding like, you know, like shooting threes, for example, right? Like they know this year that if they shoot so many threes, like eventually they're going to outscore the opponent and they're going to win. Right. And last night, obviously that wasn't the case. Um, They ended up shooting like 53s and it obviously didn't uh, result in the win. So I think sometimes he's a little bit stubborn, but he, he plays his percentages, right? And so I think that he's going to keep doing his thing, and they'll, he's, he's a great coach. He's, he's brilliant. So I'm, I'm sure that they'll um, they'll find, especially defensively, 
um, they'll find a scheme that they can kind of manipulate a little bit and try and get some stops, uh, especially on Morant and those clutch minutes. But I, I think mostly it's going to depend on the players executing those schemes, um, the same schemes that we've seen all season long, uh, more so than Quinn adjusting things or bringing in new tricks and things like that. Last thing I'll ask you about, Taylor. Um, Rudy Gobert, how does he factor into flipping this series? How did he look last night from your perspective, and how does he factor in and make a bigger impact in uh, getting the Jazz back on track and really running away with the series as they should? Yeah, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be a tough battle. Valanciunas is just like it's unreal. Last night watching them battle, he's just everywhere on you know offensive boards, and he, he kind of just like he's just long and strong. And, and I feel like Rudy sometimes has a hard time with guys that are bigger and stronger, just because that's not really his body type, right? But um, you know, obviously Rudy, his impact is not always on the offense. It's all, it, you know, defensively way more than offensive, but you know, you're not expecting Rudy to come out and drop 30 points. And I mean, sometimes it happens, but you're not expecting him to do that. But I feel like he's just got to be, he has to be just everywhere. And, and last, last night was kind of an exception because he got in foul trouble and kind of got rattled a little bit, but um, he only, he only attempted four shots last night. He made all of them, but he only took four shots last night. And so I think that um, the Grizzlies did a really good job taking him out of the out of the game, especially on like the offensive glass. And so Rudy's gotta be more active. He's gotta stay out of foul trouble and just and just be in there as long as he can. Because when he's in there, the Jazz outscore their opponents. It's pretty simple. He led the NBA in, in plus minus this year. When he's on the floor, the Jazz are probably gonna be winning those minutes. And so I think for the most part he's just gotta stay on the floor and just do his thing and eventually it'll work out well for him in the end. Taylor, what can we check out from you this week at uh, SLC Dunk? Yeah, so we got um, we got some good playoff coverage at SLC Dunk uh, this week and for the, the remaining games this week. Um, we got a lot of great riders there, so make sure you're um, following slcdunk.com and the stuff they're putting out there. You can follow the Twitter account. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at GriffDunk. Um, if you like lame jokes and you know some occasional good analysis and things like that or just seeing me get in my feelings after tough loss last night got some memes for that too so yeah but you got a golden retriever i see on twitter.com that can uh i do yeah he's and yeah and he he, i named him rudy so he's did you it it was his jersey yeah his name's Rudy. after go bear yep what did he think of the flop was he paying attention was is he a dog that watches with you like what was his reaction to rudy falling over when while not even being involved involved in the play yeah we just ignore that we pretend that didn't happen that was just... i'm sure he wouldn't have liked it though he, he didn't approve of that okay okay uh what's the what what is the coolest trick that rudy can do um it's not really a treat. He, he, he gives some pretty good handshakes. That's a pretty aggressive handshake. That's probably the best trick. <laughs> aggressive handshake or Rudy. Okay, I like it. I like yeah. it. All right. Well, Taylor, this has been great. I greatly appreciate you making the time this evening. Uh, keep up the great work, sir, and good luck uh, the rest of the series. All right. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me on. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah. Sugar Ray Leonard. Roberto Duran. 
Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.